You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. I'd like to begin these proceedings here today by calling in the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine, to all of those ancestral helping spirits who bring all that is good and true and beautiful into our lives, bringing that legacy of the people who've gone before us, who lived well, who died well, and who carry this accumulated wisdom of humanity's experience here on earth and can help us to go forward in a way that we learn from those who have gone before us and that we are able to understand truly and deeply what simply does not work and to use our own creativity and the innovation and the gifts that we bring into our own lifetime to create the changes and the transformations and to invent the new things that are necessary for humanity to go forward in a good way in a way that addresses the challenges of our time, in a way that brings forward answers that are good for all living things. So as these human ancestral energies come in to help us, reach out beyond the humans to those energies that have been here much longer than humans on the face of this beautiful planet. And I call in those non-human ancestors to gather with us today as well, to help us to remember ever more deeply why it is that we are here to find ourselves taking a more um, rightful and authentic place in this great web of life, and to surrender more deeply to our own true nature, and to bring forward the blessings that are really meant to come into that great web of life through humans and the nature of the human heart. So as all of these ancestral helping spirits, human and non-human, begin to gather around us here today, let us gather ourselves from wherever it is that we might be, drawing ourselves truly and fully into our mind. And with the next breath, drawing ourselves down into our heart. And with the next breath, drawing ourselves deeply down into our belly. And from our belly, let us move now to the earth and taking a moment of doing one thing not multitasking, but one focused thing to offer our gratitude for this day, our thanks for this life, and take a moment to simply connect into the energy of the earth, the wonder of her dreaming that brings life as we experience it to the face of this planet. We give gratitude for the diversity and the challenges, for the beauty and the wonderful, strange surprises and coincidences that make life what it is. We give thanks for all that has been along our path, along our journey that has brought us to this moment for all that is and all that will be. And with enormous gratitude and awe for the miracle of life, we give thanks to the earth and send our energy down, reaching all the way down through all the layers of the earth, offering our gratitude as we go, reaching for the very center of the earth, and connecting in deeply to those energies that nourish and restore and renew. We connect into those energies that find their own power in darkness, in stillness, in silence, and in that peace. And let us connect into that energy that is before all the abundance that we enjoy here on the face of the earth, that which is before the things, that which binds and connects everything. Let us reach deeply into this energy as we would reach into fresh water and draw up this fresh, clear, pure energy from the earth up into our day, up into ourselves, up into these proceedings. We draw this earth energy up, bringing up the energies that renew and replenish and restore that which refreshes us and reminds us that each moment can be a new moment, a possibility of change, a possibility of recreation. 
we call up this energy that we may know that wisdom of manifestation and that we can be with these energies in a way that help us to understand how to connect in right relationship with all the many dynamics in our life. May we connect deeply in right relationship with ourselves to know where we stand and what we stand for in life, to be grounded in that and to build our sense of home and our sense of belonging from these things that give meaning and purpose to life. Let's not just do the old habits of the old ways and attach our sense of home to a place or to a people, but to open up our awareness to grow from that, to grow from that, to let our sense of home and people open our hearts to those who are other than we are, to take our sense of home with us and to learn to open the door to the other, that we might all be provoked by newness and difference into becoming the people we are really meant to be. This is the nature of our time. Let us embrace it. And we ask the energy of the earth to help us to continue to understand how we come into better relationship internally with ourselves so we can come into right relationship with our environment, right relationship with other living things, people and otherwise, and right relationship with those things around us that are invisible to us. And as we come into right relationship with these things, let us reach all the way into the great web of life and perhaps be blessed in this day by a moment of knowing our place in that great oneness. And with this energy beginning to move through us, let us reach our own energy up and out the top of our head and out into the sky above, whatever weather it holds, moving out through that, out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos, reaching all the way up to the highest power. By whatever name you understand it or way that you conceive of it, to reach out to it and to connect in to it and let it connect to you and to draw this energy into your day don't leave it up there and send it a prayer but reach into it and draw it down drawing into your own life into these proceedings into this day the essence energy of blessings the essence energy of protection and commitment and devotion to our path we call in this illumination and inspiration along the way and we receive in this way the benevolence of our universe and we open our hearts to the beneficence of this greater existence and we draw all this energy in moving it down through our body and into the earth and in this way we connect above and below we become this place where these two great legendary lovers come together in that big love that gave birth to this expression of of uh, physical manifestation that we all enjoy and may that big love awaken our hearts so that our hearts come alive with that crucible of transformation that lives in the heart. And let's call up the fiery passions of the belly and down the crystal clarity of the mind. And let these energies dance there in the human heart. And as they dance in this dynamic tension of these two very, very different energies, let them give birth to that third and most important sacred thing, which is some sense, some knowing, some memory of why it is that you are here. And may you reach into that beautiful human heart of yours and find the courage that you need to do something in this day to bring those gifts into manifestation in the world. And for all of the countless uh, spirit help that we have assisting us in doing this very thing, I give great thanks. May what needs to be heard be heard today, what needs to be said be said, and may these proceedings go forward in a way that are good for all living things. Speaking of living things... I would like to give thanks to Eunice and Remy, to Jennifer, Pamela, Monica, Dale, Julie, Philip, Heather, and Andrew, and to all of the listeners who've been able to donate to the show financially. If you're listening for the first time, Why Shamanism Now is listener-supported. It is only because of donations by listeners like you um, that the show is able to pay for itself, pay for its bills, and keep itself out there in the land of the internet, free and available to anyone who can get online. We are getting close to 400 hours of free podcasts about various shamanic things. And I give gratitude to all of you who have donated and who are donating that have made that possible. That I continue to receive emails all the time from people who are not able to donate and are deeply grateful for your ability and your willingness to do so. So if this show today moves you in any way, even if it moves you to frustration and irritation, know that you've been moved in the heart. And I ask you to do this most fundamental of shamanic things and to allow that which moves your heart to move you into action 
in the world and to do something large or small to help the show to grow. You can go to the show's website at whyshamanismnow.com, click the support button, and you can donate any amount you choose to, large or small. Um, it all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And please keep in mind that there are many, many ways that you can help the show to grow that are not financial. And I give deep gratitude to those of you who actually use what you hear on the show in your lives. Bring them into your own shamanic practice, into your journey circles, into just the way that you relate to others, the way you raise your kids, the way you are a human in the world. And for this, I am grateful. Grateful for the questions that arise from that and the way that those questions often um, result in uh, more more shows, new shows, and a way that we can keep what we're doing here vital and um, appropriate for our time. So I thank you all for the many things you're doing to keep the show alive and well. So the topic of today's show is chronic illness and shamanic practice. So how do we live with chronic illness and how do we apply our shamanic skills potentially to that? And our guest today is Kelly Harrell. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. It's great to talk with you. It's good to have you back. Kelly's been on the show several times, for those of you that don't know, so we're not going to go into all that we've already spent hours talking about because they live there on a podcast and you can all just go listen. But for those of you that don't know, um, Kelly is an author and a neo-shaman living in North Carolina. So for those of you that want to know who you can work with on that side of the United States, go to Kelly. (laughs) She's been on a shamanic path for over 20 years. She works locally and with international client base. And so you can also work at a distance. Um, She incorporates other trainings and ways of knowing and modalities into her shamanic practice at Soul Intent Arts. Um, Her memoir, Gift of the Dreamtime, chronicles her pivotal step into the role of a shaman and her book teen spirit guide to modern shamanism um, offers a much needed resource for teens who want to explore what may be a calling for them and we have shows about each of these books in the archives kelly writes um, a syndicated column intentional insights questions and answers from within and she's been doing this for many many years and um, i'm going to let her talk to us a bit here today because um She's done a beautiful series of these blogs going to books, and the books are gorgeous. So we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But basically, um, it's important to understand, I think, as we listen to Kelly, that there's a long history here of good work in the world um, with people that are suffering from abuse, people that are suffering from, oh my God, what is this shamanic thing that's happening to me and or this thing that's happening to me and what do I do with it and and how do I learn to use it and how do I learn to bring my gifts to the world? Um, so if you want to contact Kelly, you can go to soulintentarts, all one word, dot com and contact her through that site. You can also contact her at Kelly Harrell, K-E-L-L-E-Y-H-A-R-R-E-L-L. Com. Um, either way, we'll get you to Kelly. And we are live today, um, so you're welcome to email me at christina at lastmasscenter.org if you have questions. Um, but you're also welcome to call in at 512-772-1938, or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site if you're listening live. Um, so, Kelly, here we go. <laughs> okay, so um, I, I have a, a number of clients right now that are really challenged with an array of chronic illnesses. And um, it made me realize that I've committed a lot of time, many, many hours of why shamanism now to looking at mental illness differently. Um, you know, through a shamanic perspective, how do we see that differently? And also a lot of time dedicated to understanding how shamanic healing is out there in the whole landscape of healing, um, particularly with contemporary illnesses. But I just realized I'd never once even talked directly about chronic illness. And chronic disease currently affects um, 133 million Americans. And that's just the Americans. So it's people all over the world. On the other hand, it tends to affect Americans more so than others, which is interesting uh, statistically Um, but this amount of people represents more than 40 percent of the total population in our country and uh, 81 million of these people have multiple chronic conditions Um, so I really invited Kelly on the show today so we could just talk as two practitioners about the challenges of 
chronic illness for practitioners, for with our clients, just the whole whole ball of wax here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Kelly, you know, given that we all realize we're all in process, we're growing, growth is often uncomfortable and messy. So given that, you know, for you, where do you get the sense that that the experience has crossed the line from just the parts of life that suck into actually chronic illness? Like where, how do you get a sense of that? I guess for me, for me personally, it's realizing that I seem to just face the same blocks over and over and, and in working with myself spiritually and seeking out help from others when I needed, you know, someone other than myself on the job and coming back with it, not necessarily all being sourced as a spiritual uh, wound or, you know, we're trained to look for things that are always sourcing at a spiritual level. And I find that with chronic conditions, there's a whole lot going on that, that has to be addressed at a full person level. That's more than just spiritual, but it, it is having somebody work with you at a body level and at a psychological and emotional level. Yeah. Along with doing the soul work, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I think in the, you know, the bigger sentence is we lack community. We don't have the, the structure in place as a support network ongoing. And that's, where we fit in needing all these different areas addressed. We can't manage them all ourselves. And I, as a soul worker with other people, can't manage all of them for clients. Yeah, it's hard because the person who is suffering is put in this position of not just the healing, but trying to integrate and manage multiple practitioners, multiple modalities, many of which they really know nothing about. And it's hard. It's, and it's uh, expensive. It's, and it's expensive. It's expensive, period. And it's really hard to know, is this not working because it doesn't apply to my problem, which is possible? Is it not working because there's some piece of this I'm doing, I need to be doing that I'm not? And why isn't this practitioner guiding me in doing that? And then right. the other potential problem is maybe the practitioner isn't any good. <laughs> I mean, it's exactly. It, it's true. And and that's a reason that I, I always tell clients to just keep checking in all the time with everything that you're doing, with every modality that you're working with. If you are not finding some measurement of progress in it, it, it stands to reason that maybe you need to move on to something else. Yeah. And so, so Kelly's already brought up one of the things that I think is really important for us to understand with chronic illness I think one of the contemporary myths is what you just said is that, you know, it's all coming from spirit. So I just need to keep working it spiritually and, and, and it creates this, um, it's almost like a self-denial around the physical manifestations and the emotional manifestations and the mental manifestations because I'm just I'm just going for the spirit piece. I'm just going for the energy piece and it, it creates a kind of fantasy thinking about, you know, what it means to be a human being and understand healing. Yeah. That's and that's well problematic. Said. And, you know, and, but the, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it, it becomes escapist. Yeah. I mean, you would think, oh, I'm trying to get well, so I'm going to do all the things that I have to do. But putting it all in the spirit basket makes it escapist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ignoring the spirit basket is a problem. But right. I see too many people whose chronic illness moves from this stage where there were actually some physical modalities that could have been really helpful that now are not so helpful. You know, they move into a really deeply embedded chronic physical manifestation because they just refuse to go there in the beginning. And that's not helpful to us. So, you know, this, this, this piece you brought up right out at the beginning is we need to treat these things as whole beings, whole people and not ignore um, and so what so what I'm thinking of is one of the the greatest ex- contemporary examples I think of everybody's fantasy thinking because the other side of the fantasy thinking is the medical system's fantasy thinking so well but yeah. is, is Lyme's disease mm-hmm. where if we address Lyme's disease aggressively with allopathic remedies people can pull out of this situation right but in the beginning, because the, the medical system was doing fantasy thinking and frankly just saying it doesn't exist. 
exactly. You know, all evidence to the contrary, just saying this doesn't exist. And people are literally dying from Lyme's. And, you know, and this went on to the point where the allopathic system had to be sued. I mean, it was a huge, huge thing in this country. And we still have doctors that say Lyme's is, is a false it, it doesn't exist. And so so there's also fantasy thinking on the doctor side of things. So as Kelly just said, you have to truth test all the time, even with people that are highly trained, well-respected professionals, because they can have their own um, professional blindness, I guess. So anyway. I, I really love that you said that because I think it's easy to fall into a victim perspective when, when even when you really are throwing everything you've got at something and you just feel like crap more often than you feel okay. You know, it's easy to start thinking in that you're a victim, but in reality, a lot of systems fail. And and you're right. There's a timing involved that for when those systems can be, you know, best suited to help you. And I think that the thing that we bring as, you know, the sole providers of that is there are a lot of areas that you can cover that can still bring healing. It, it may not be the fantasy healing that we would like to have and that we've been sold, but but there can still be healing. Yeah. And, and, and I think there's also sometimes a sense that I've failed if I turn to allopathic treatments. I've somehow yeah. failed this healing. Whereas my perspective about a lot of what the allopathic system, which most people call traditional medicine, which is so bizarre because, of course, yeah. it's the youngest <laughs> medicine here in the country. But anyway, um, right. so basically going to the doctor that's got an MD behind their name, that's allopathic medicine. But often I feel like, those some of those treatments um, are not cures or solutions, but they will buy you the time you need to actually engage in that because many of the things that become chronic illness or really problematic have actually been sort of accumulating factors over time. Yes. And, and now it's manifesting at a level that's critical that you have to deal with and you're in a sense running out of time and sometimes engaging in some of the allopathic you know, remedies don't fix it, but they buy you time to actually figure out what the hell happened here right. and how they, do I unravel it. They give you quiet on one level so that you can do the work that needs to be done on the other levels. And that's a pretty valuable thing to have. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so one of the things I think we're both saying really clearly is that it's very important to not get in an either-or situation with what is currently in the United States called integrative or alternative medicine or spirit-based medicines and the allopathic system. Is they, are not an, they should not be treated as antagonistic systems, even though some people in them are antagonistic. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, you just have to manage that. Um, and I think it's really important for people that do um, get success through spirit measures or alternative measures that def- befuddle and defy the reality that your allopathic doctors have in their own mind. When they ask you what you did, risk the dismissal you'll receive to them and tell them honestly. Tell them honestly that whatever that, that other thing is that you did was what helped you and stop being in the closet about the way in which other modalities, including shamanism and other spirit-driven things, are actually helpful. Absolutely. So one of the things I, that I think is so interesting as I was kind of researching for the show is you know how easy it is within a system – and this is something I've addressed talking about mental illness because this is this is really a problem in around mental illness. But even in physical illness, how a system will say, for example, this chronic illness is incurable, when that really means is we have nothing for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. You know, but that doesn't mean Chinese medicine doesn't have something great for it or shamanism doesn't have something great for it. You know, and that's part of the problem I have with allopathic medicine is its is it dismissal of other options instead of saying we have no answer for you we suggest that you try these systems they just say it's incurable and that messes with people's heads it does it 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 messes with their hearts when yeah you know 
the business of allopathic medicine eliminates a lot of alternative care that would would eliminate or or very well manage a lot of conditions but it's not covered by insurance and you know on both ends of that you know for the person who needs it the client and the provider you know you have to charge what you need to charge to feed yourself and so sometimes it's not affordable and so there's kind of this whole lockout of things that would otherwise be useful even when people know about them even Mm -hmm. when they know that acupuncture does wonderful things or spirit-driven medicine does wonderful things it, it doesn't make them suddenly able to afford it yeah so one thing that I did notice, though, back with this incurable thing is that even even in the websites that are talking about certain chronic illnesses that are quote-unquote incurable, which they also acknowledge that these chronic illnesses have many variables contributing to them, and these variables are things we have power over. You know, So is it really incurable if many of the factors are things we obviously can change? And right. one of them is diet. But that is a big piece, the, 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 the slow evolution and degradation of food offered to Americans in our grocery stores and advertised on TV is a big factor. It is and now another, Yeah, another factor is also poverty mm-hmm. and education, you know, and how all of these things um, can get in a big snarly ball of problem in people's lives. So, um, so it's important – back to the whole whole person solution is you know these things all matter um and then the other thing is of course not all chronic illnesses are created equal <laughs> so <laughs> and with two people with the same quote unquote diagnosis right what he- helps bob may not help mary and that's another frustrating dynamic i think with chronic illnesses you know why isn't this helping me it helped my friend and we both well, so, yeah And there are so many factors that lead up to stress in a person's life, the ones that you just mentioned, and then the extremely intimate ones that we don't talk about. And I I think that, again, that's a place where shamanism can help alleviate some stress. It it gives you a place to take those perhaps more intimate issues that you've been carrying in your body. Mm Mm-hmm. And then a way to address those issues. Um, Exactly. Yeah. And so one of the things that I um, was wondering, though, here right out of the gate, though, is sort of two parts of this question. But basically, what, what are the things, just the short list of things that basically healthy people need to really not do to their friends and loved ones who are dealing with chronic illness? Hmm. Like, you know, tell people who are depressed to just get over it. Right. Um, Don't do that. (laughs) Oh, that dismissal is huge. You know, saying things like, well, you know, well, you make it to work every day. Your head can't be hurting that badly. That kind of just dismissal that symptoms exist, despite the fact that you seem to be functioning well on the outside. It doesn't really mean that you feel well on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... um, it's important for people with health to not take their health granted for their own well-being. Um, but when you're with people that do have a chronic illness, it's really important to consider your health as a privilege. Now, maybe it's one that you merit because of the choices that you're making, but still, maybe. yeah, you know, still shit happens, right? <laughs> you know, right? And and you, we need to not um, bludgeon others with our good fortune. And be very, very caring of those people that are in pain. Um, and especially people that are dealing with chronic pain. I mean, I know how bad my day is, relatively speaking, when I just don't get enough sleep or I just, you know, eat badly. And imagine that, you know, times 10 all the time. You know, it doesn't lead, it doesn't lead to a great quality of experience of your day, but it also means the person's really struggling to make good decisions, really struggling to to do their part on the work team or whatever exactly. and, and a little compassion would be really helpful and not dismissal. Yeah. And so if you have the good fortune of good health, you know, you have the ability to use some energy to be kind. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, 
you know, but there's also got to be a short list for things for people with a chronic illness not to do. I think um, what I call this special snowflake syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. You know, like this is what's going on in my life, which makes me a special snowflake. And so everybody else now has to accommodate all of this for me. Right. And, 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 and putting this responsibility on to other people and if they it's a it's a real projection and if they don't do it um they're bad people (laughs) right yeah and that yeah and so it's important to find some balance in relationship with people that um doesn't make your uh uh chronic illness everyone else's problem and yet at the same time everybody else needs to understand as kelly's already mentioned and we'll get to a little deeper is it is our problem because people are manifesting illnesses for the for the community and so we need to be careful about uh, the way that we as contemporary people pathologize an individual as if this is their illness alone and and that's from a shamanic perspective that's never true that there's always a relationship between the individual and the community and in a sick community which i would consider america an excruciatingly sick community you're going to have people that are sick all over the place because they have to manifest the sickness of the community for us so that we recognize it and heal it as a community and since that's really barely happening right you know there we go and now we have an epidemic of chronic illness i mean 40 percent of the people is a lot of people it's a lot of people one of the things that i've say frequently in my blog is if if the planet is out of balance and I think people who are relatively awake are realizing the planet is gravely out of balance you can't expect us to be in balance whether that's mood swings or chronic pain you you can't look at the climate change and the the swings that our planet is going through and all of our systems our collective systems are going through and expect as individuals that we are just you know, arrow shot straight. Yeah. Yeah. And we can't let the fact that the planet is out of balance, you know, as you said earlier, be this excuse to disconnect from nature and disconnect. Exactly. We still have a right and, and responsibility to come here and do the things that we came here to do. And what's your sense of how, you know, a sort of a general American disconnect from nature contributes to our chronic illness? I think, I think probably in a lot of ways, but we are so out of sync with seasons. We have such an artificial, just day to day, our schedule day to day is artificially set for us, let alone the bigger cycle of seasons. We are so out of touch with how the seasons progress and how we can move with that internally and externally to just have a perspective on ourselves, let alone what's going on around us, but be able to just move through a cycle and honor that that's what we're doing to realize that we're participating in it. We don't have that. Yeah. Well, and for people that do sort of mark the, the, See, you know the cer- the traditional ceremonies of the seasons as we move through the year. I'm often struck by how many people aren't actually making a connection as to why this ritual at this time. Like what what is the portal this ritual is creating or ceremony is creating for the human beings and this particular time in nature? That is just yes. this is what we do at this time, and right. it's rote versus some deep nourishing understanding of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Well, and in, in to a degree, even that is, is rote because, you know, I, I know that the sun hits the certain points it hits when it hits them. But as far as how, you know, season where I live, it has, it's slid on the calendar. And so it doesn't really feel right in terms of the, the observation of why we do that, what, why that portal into the season mm-hmm. and into all things it doesn't feel like it's quite in the same place that it used to be. Yeah. And so yeah. it does feel a little artificial to just do it on the designated date rather than, no, it's, it's happening really, you know, five days later or a week later. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you, and as you, you have said, to find that the relationship, change, you know, and as you said, with the earth changing, maybe that should be changing as well. Right. 
maybe those traditional reckonings just aren't even real anymore. Is anybody asking? You know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I think there was an aspect of doing this that was about keeping the people balanced and keeping them in deep relationship with nature. And um, it's all it's it's it in and of itself has gotten wonky, just like the planet itself and us and everything. So maybe it's time for people to begin to divine again and say, you know, what do we really need to be doing at this time? So not so many people have to manifest the the out of balancedness of this whole situation, which then of course bridges us to the whole tribe issue, which is, you know, what is your sense of how the lack of tribe in our modern life contributes to this um, epidemic really of chronic illness? Well, we've been raised in a culture that says we're supposed to be able to do everything ourselves. We know at a deep visceral cellular level, that isn't even remotely true. But that's what we've been conditioned to believe. And so, you know, we don't seek out the dream team to help us hold these different points of our lives and our needs. And I think that creates a ridiculous toll. Just of the energy drain on the individual trying to do it all themselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and it's taxing to think you're supposed to know all of these different points mm-hmm. and who. Who to, who to go to and what they do and how they do it. And it's overkill. We really yeah. do need to have a network that, among us that, that can help us share. And just, you know, even from the standpoint of working with our spirit allies, I, I work with so many people, you know, and they'll be going through something and I'll say, well, you know, how are your allies helping you on a day-to-day basis with this? Well, what do you mean? Have you asked them? No. Mm-hmm. There, there seems to be a gap in a lot of people's minds of, of not taking that which seems mundane to their helping spirits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I always – that always kind of creates a hitch in my get-along. I'm like, um, <laughs> why else would we want them? <laughs> right, right. I mean what else are they doing? Yeah, yeah, why else are they there. here if it isn't to help us navigate this in a, in a better way? But I think um, – you know, there's this aspect of the the lack of the tribe that would hold us well, and that and how that contributes to our chronic illness. And then there's also the contribution of the sort of scary tribe that does exist, <laughs> which is well. tribe, you know. <laughs> and and I mean, I I know that with um you know people a couple generations older than me, they would never consider not just buying the produce at the grocery store. So here in Oregon, they, well, if it's at Safeway, it's good for me. Now that's the local grocery store. Instead of realizing and paying attention to the fact that the food doesn't taste like food anymore. You know, tomatoes don't taste like tomatoes anymore and that there's a reason for that. And we shouldn't really be eating those tomatoes anymore. And that that the change in our food supply is a big contributing factor to our chronic illness and, um, you know, chemicals we shouldn't be eating. You know, the whole, the whole thing. I'm not going to go into all whole politics yeah. around food. But all of that is really big. But my point is that people are taught to trust that what's there in the stores will be good for them. And 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 people of you know eighty year olds aren't prepared in their psychology to grasp the fact that it's killing them. That that breach of the cultural contract in and of itself would kill them. Right. And 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 so part of the challenge for those of us now dealing with chronic illness in our own lives and around us is recognizing how much of this is a direct response to to the literal issues of illness in our culture and and to ask the question of how can I withdraw my energy from those beliefs and those activities and those behaviors that are creating the illness, whether in myself or others, and then how do I repurpose you know, those resources and redirect them into activities that can begin to create the, the kind of healthy tribe thing that you're talking about. How do I begin to connect and relate with myself and others in a way that we can repair this um, 
grossly leaking container that we're all suffering from. I mean, because you work with community, with creating community. I have, and and I think it makes a tremendous difference. When you realize that you don't have to carry something by yourself, you're alleviated just in the thought, let alone by the things that that group does. Yeah, yeah. And And even better, different tribes that help you support different areas of your life. Yeah. And I know that, so I w- was just this weekend with fourth year students and, you know, many of them were commenting about remembering in the beginning and how they really, you know, they were there for their own personal learning and personal healing, but the community piece was really not interesting to them um, because they're looking at that illness in the community and that in the four years they come to see, you know, the value in a community that's trying to understand its role as community with the individual versus seeing the individuals as people that will spend money. Right. 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 And, thus, and thus support the machine. You know. A lot of people don't want to be part of community. I mean, they recognize the need for it, but they've been burned by it or, you know, a hundred different reasons. At the end of the day, they don't want to have that vulnerability, the responsibility and the intimacy with other people. And you, you can't do this without those pieces. Right. And, and if, if you want relief and potentially healing of a chronic illness, it doesn't come without that vulnerability. No, no, it I doesn't. Mean, it's absolutely critical because on some level, someone has to die so someone else can be born. And that is an excruciatingly intimate place within to know who gets sacrificed so that something else can happen and that's not a simplistic thing and it's very hard to do it's very hard and very scary to do alone and um so there's a there's there's a big piece here about the way in which our willingness to address our i don't want to be part of community experiences and and begin to create community is an act of medicine it's an act of preventative medicine actually so it's a big a big piece that we're not you know deeply aware of and i think i think another aspect that we could all do at least those of us that are trying to be conscious of these things is start to be more aware of what it looks like in each other as our gifts are awakening in different facets of our life you know as our as our emotional gifts are trying to awaken or our physical gifts um, because we tend to judge everything through our mental pr- perspective, yes. and the awakening of gifts in the other realms looks pretty crazy to the mind, and it gets pathologized pretty quickly. And so there can be, you know, physical discomfort in the awakening of spiritual or emotional gifts, which then gets taken, quote unquote, to the doctor, and then gets <laughs> diagnosed. And the next thing we know, we're on a pharmaceutical. When really all that was happening is our gifts were, you know, kind of finally coming online. More people are asking that question. More people are making the distinction. And I'm very relieved to see that. Mm-hmm. When I first started my work, people did not know the phrase spiritual emergence or emergency. And and that, you know, meaning that sort of facade of things looking like a mental or emotional or physical illness that are spiritual awakening. But I'm relieved that more people do make the distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I had a really pro- profound teaching with a client recently who was um, experiencing such severe and constantly escalating food allergies that, you know, she'd gone from the usual suspects, you know, to the point where there were like three things she could eat. <laughs> you know, and, and, yeah. you know, and over time, it wasn't going to be nourishing. So that was going right. to end up being a problem. And then on top of that, She'd gotten to this place where if if she ate anything on the do not eat list, which was almost everything, right, accidentally, she would flip into mental illness. And her panic when she came to me was, I'm afraid I'm going to eat something wrong at a, you know, event or at a party or something and end up in the psych ward. 
And she was really scared, seriously. And this was a very real possibility for her. This was not made up that she'd come close twice and just simply was lucky to be with friends that were willing to sort of be with her until, you know, she metabolized things or whatever it was. And and yet when I went in to do the session for her, no preconceived ideas of what was really needing to go on, this whole thing was this energy body total confusion and mess to the point where we just had to trash the whole energy body and start over again spirit gave her really clear prescriptions of practices to do daily to Mm -hmm. to to establish the new energy body new sort of clean simple easy energy body which she did and that's the important thing about the story is she went and did it there you go for 30 days she did it as she was told by spirit changed her life the woman has no food sensitivities now None, not even the basics. Mm-hmm. Now, she still eats a good diet because she doesn't want to go back there. But sure. the point is we don't always know where it's coming from. And this to me is one of the great benefits of the diagnostic piece of the shamanic work is you really do just get to go ask, I don't know, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. You know, where do we go? And there aren't any preconceived ideas because it was a lot of people's preconceptions that were guiding her down the path she was going on, you know, and she was trying to get well. Sure. Yeah, but it wasn't helping. So I just want to say a couple things, I think, and, you know, also get your sense on these. I think part of the thing we bring to this, though, that can aggravate our own issues and our own symptoms is our own desire for answers without realizing maybe there isn't a direct answer to this particular chronic experience that I'm in right now. And maybe I shouldn't latch on to the whatever answer I can get. I need to trust myself in this. I think it's really hard. I think people want to know. I want a diagnosis. I want to know what's wrong. Why isn't this Absolutely. I would love to know. But, you know, sometimes the, 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 the answer is in the process. It's in the homework that you're given from spirit. And that's something that can only take place over use and time. I can't pull that out of thin air for someone else. I can't pull it out of thin air for myself if I'm not given that. But when I work a a ritual that I'm given by my allies or that a client's allies give to me to give to that person over time, it will shift something Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that gives you more ground to cover. And I know that um, in my own experience in doing that, especially when it makes no sense at all. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Especially when it makes no sense at all. The reason it makes no sense is because we've actually been given a shortcut. If we would just do it, you know, if we would just do it, it's actually a shortcut to where we're trying to go. And that's why it doesn't make any sense to us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that whole piece, it, it, we, I think we have to struggle or not struggle, but we have to be aware that part of that larger cultural context that is not well is one that teaches us to drive for knowledge and answers and not trust mm-hmm. the process. Mm-hmm. And that to me, that is the key of, of all the big transformation is the willingness to trust the process and, um, Trust the process forwards and backwards. In other words, the ability to look back and really see where the origin is instead of instead of latching on to some shallow answer like some sort of health system is giving you like these are just aliens and you need to do this meditation. <laughs> you know, instead of going, no, wait a minute. I'm actually pretty sure I began feeling this when I was 14. You know, and, and, and trusting your intuitive sense of the origin of this process and recognizing maybe you've been in it for a while and that you're just hmm. in the rapids, you know, right. and that this river will deposit you if you actually start to engage in the fact that you, you're actually in the kayak and you have paddles. and stop just floating you know but actually start to engage and and what I mean by that is as you've already said engaging with the people that can help to the best of your ability Mm -hmm. and not dismissing the weird things you are given by spirit or even your own intuition to go do if you get that impulse as tired as you are from your chronic fatigue or whatever to get up and dance in the light of the full moon every month get out of bed 
you know, dance, even if it's naked, you know, just do right. it. And something's happening there that you can trust. Um, yeah. So another thing that I see that comes with, um, so this is the way I see it manifest. So, so, so this is my shamanic illness. Oh, oh no. Okay. Okay. So now maybe this is yeah. my shamanic illness. Yeah. Oh. Oh, not really. Okay. Okay. Now maybe this is my shamanic illness. And what happens in this whole, you know, wanting this to be my initiatory crisis is I feel that people don't actually aggressively deal with the fact that they are not well. Right. <laughs> and yes. and deal yeah. with the sim- deal with it, engage right. with it, be in process with it, not just thinking by labeling it my initiatory crisis, now someone else is in charge. Hmm. Because that's not even how it works in an initiatory crisis. I mean, the only no, way through that crisis is to get off your ass and go through exactly. it, whatever that means in your it. crisis. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, you know, a lot of people are afraid of the process. That, you know, there's truth in the process, yes. But I think a lot of people are afraid of that. And I get it. It's scary. It's the scariest mm-hmm. shit you will ever do. Mm-hmm. But, you, but, but avoiding doing it exacerbates it. Yes. And, that, and you can say that again. avoiding doing it does exacerbate it and there's also a piece of that that I think is I feel really bad in my body right now I have all these symptoms it feels like shit and I'm kind of mad at my body right now Mm -hmm. how can this possibly be a process that's teaching me how to live in it right you know it's like that why would I want to live present when you're in pain I mean Mm -hmm. I know that some people can go into altered states in pain, but the one thing that pain does is make you be in your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for people that have a tendency to go easily into altered states, it often brings them into shamanism so they can start to create some use and purpose and training in those altered states. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Unless you're using it to escape living in your body, because ultimately the energy that allows us to make sure we're really interpreting in a way that is good for all living things is we actually have to be here as a living thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you that. don't get to skip this experience. Yeah. 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 So, so what about this sort of expectation? Um, Oh, just around shamans not having distress in their lives or this sort of weird relationship that I think contemporary people have with their initiatory illnesses and woundedness. And mostly that weird relationship is because we don't have a culture around us saying, yes, yes that's initiatory crisis or no, it's not. Here, come to the doctor. Right, right. Yeah. I, my life is perfect. I don't know about yours, but that's <laughs> fine. What are you talking about? But there is an attitude that if you are a a spiritual health healing person, that you have to be fine. And if you're not fine, you're not doing it right, or you're not doing what you tell everybody else to do, or you're just really need to hang it up and do something else. And the reality is, you know, shamanism gives you the pieces for the process. It gives you what you can do on this level to make things better, but doing them is a whole different ball game. And Mm -hmm. from my perspective, that's, that's where shamanism can give you a leg up because you, you have to do the process. And when you do it, it brings increments of healing. It isn't that we're perfect and nothing goes on in our lives and we don't have stress. It's that we're working what we've, been doing all these years and somehow it works you know and I think one of the distinctions between a really kick-ass practitioner and those that are getting there is a a kick-ass practitioner will be given that process by spirit and then go shit I I I don't know how to do this yeah oh (laughs) and many times you know, I can't over fit this over. into my life, right? Yes. And so, yes. but the practitioner will go back and say, okay, I got it. I got the process. How do I do this? Show me how I can really make this work in my life as it is. You know, and they may show us, you know, this thing in your life, you don't really need it there anymore. So you can, right. you know, let that go. But they can also, you know, it's like they say, I don't know, open up an earth shrine and tend it. And you're like, oh man, I can barely get out of bed and get to work in the morning. And <laughs> 
And, and, and so you go back and you say, okay, great, I get it. I need to open up a nurse shrine and tend it. How do I do that with my life the way it is today? And they say, oh, and they show you how to create this little pocket earth shrine and take it with you to work. You know, that's the difference between the really kick ass practitioners. They just, for the impossible, they just keep going back to ask. And realize that spirit's got some really simple answers for us, for things that really seem utterly and completely insurmountable. Mm-hmm. And that if we do them, something starts to shift. And, and it's not like that pocket earth shrine is going to fix your chronic illness, but it's going to be a piece of it, a piece right. of the fixing. Yeah. And you may not be able to get to the other pieces until you do that when there's some process in that little pocket earth shrine that can bring you to the next place. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and the other piece and partly the reason that I asked, you know, Kelly to come onto the show instead of potentially others is that, you know, Kelly's a mom. Kelly's mm-hmm. a wife. <laughs> Kelly's got a life. She's got her own personal process. She's got her clients. You know, she's like all the rest of you is we all have all those dynamics and we don't want to, you know, I'm assuming you don't want to just go, all right, kids, lovely husband, you guys hang out over here and do this. I'm going to go away now for six months and heal my Right. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) (laughs) And you wouldn't want to. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Your kid's life. Right. And that's a tricky balance, you know? Okay. So how do I be in a life with all of these beautiful pieces and not just be a big bummer on all the beautiful pieces, you know. I mean, it's a, it is a challenge. And again, the beauty, I think, of shamanism and, or even just having a relationship with your own helping spirits that you can go to and ask what appear to be impossible questions is to ask, you know, how do I show up for my kids at the end of the day when my whatever chronic whatever just has me really in a bad place? You know, how do I do that? Absolutely. To keep that relationship open and to remember to be honest with them as to the to the developmental level that they can handle to just be honest about what's going on in life because you don't learn from a facade. Yeah. And they're all going to assume they're going to assume all of it's their fault anyway. So you got to make sure. Right. And so you've got to get the jump on that and say, no, this is mine. This is my responsibility. And I want to make sure that you understand this is what I'm doing with about it. And, and with my kids, I go further. I've talked with my spirit guides and this is what they've said that me and they are going to do about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. And they yeah. So there's another piece. I don't know how you feel about this, but I've been kind of noticing it lately, which is when we are in something that is chronic, there is an aspect of repetition, you know, that's the chronic. <laughs> And, you know, the problem with repetition in the human body is it creates habit and it creates kind of an imprint. And I know that like Betsy Bergstrom, when she's talking about, you know, living with a sort of a possessing energy for a while, we take on an impression of that energy just out of the nature of the human being to, 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 um, through repetition to create a habit. And I, I'm wondering how you feel about that, that sense of with the chronic illness, when do we know that the thing's actually gone and we're just doing it out of the momentum of having been stuck with this for years? It's it's true. I mean, you can fall into like a sick rut where maybe on same days you don't really feel all that bad, but you still just kind of don't want to push it or you, whatever reason. You have to be... I think radically honest with yourself foremost about checking in with your body and what's going on with your body. And then you have to be really willing to engage that in the space around you. What, what you have be willing to be present. And I find that that's the biggest difference about the days that I feel poorly and the days that I feel really good. My ability to be present is, is a much smaller circle on the days that I feel bad and on the days that I feel good I recognize that I need to be more engaged in the space around me I can be a little more outgoing not in a way that's gonna just totally trash me but okay I have it today and I'm gonna engage I'm going to be with my you know unseen community a little more and if possible my seen community Mm -hmm. yeah so this this kind of leads me to a piece which for me seems like the end of it is no matter where we are and on those days when that circle's real small we're we still are in relationship with our authentic self or we still need to be in relationship with 
who we are and why we're here. And I think for many, illness is the thing that makes them finally ask that question. But with chronic illness, you know, it's like the question gets asked and then then what? And and so I think part of it is also how can I be with this energy today? And in many ways, that's what yes. you're also just saying is how can I be with my own authenticity given who I am today and express that energy in some way so I don't look at this as a departure from why I'm here. It just may not be, be me being what I imagined I would be, you know, that, that right. I have to find the way that I can do it in this day. And, you know, women have a lot of practice with cycles and the ability to not make every cycle the same. And I apply that wisdom to the chronic pain and fatigue cycles that when I feel it happening again, I don't go, oh, crap, it's that. I, I sit with this instance. What is happening in this instance that has something for me? What do I need to give? What am I here to receive? I don't assume that all the peaks and valleys are exactly the same every time I see them going. And on that big piece of wisdom, I just look up and realize our hour's over. How'd that happen? I know. It went flying by. So, Kelly, thank you for joining me here today. Thank you. And um, you all can reach Kelly at soulintentarts.com or kellyharrell.com. And we all give thanks to the energy of our helping spirits gathering all around us, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. And thank you so much, Kelly, for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. 